Girl stories, life lessons, turning points, service to others, truth, no bullshit. Adding value, no smoke and mirrors, being the pressure, third down and 10, win or learn, always the underdog with a chip on your shoulder. These are the things that I think about when I talk to this group. From service academy fleet leaders, NFL players, NASCAR drivers, tech gurus, private equity, small business, big business, to the entrepreneurs making the way of the future, winning at all costs with uncompromised integrity, paying the price of admission. Let's go. Ian. Ian. What's up, dude? Ian Meredith, how you doing nowadays? I'm doing good, man. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's good to definitely good. Um, I love doing these because I get to catch up with you guys and um, hear more about you. It's just, it's a good one. So, um, Ian is a fellow classmate of mine, um, Navy football 09 senior class, class of 2010, raised in Venuga, Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, a Notre Dame high school graduate, not the college, but high school. Uh, and you were a wrestler in high school. Right? I was, yeah. We had a pretty solid wrestling team. I think I started wrestling in like kindergarten and finished up senior high school. Some of the same kids I wrestled was in kindergarten. I still wrestled with my senior year. You know, small, only Catholic high school in Chattanooga. So we wrestled from, I don't know, 13 years, I guess. Nice. There's a lot of folks that like were, you know, big ballers that did wrestling and um and a few that wish they'd wrestled so far on the podcast so the wrestling theme is definitely uh, something of strength i think uh coming out of high school uh you're known by a few by a nickname called baby fingers uh thanks to your good friend austin milky Milkman. i you know i i do have insanely small uh fingers and i think he like latched onto that plebe year and he often called me baby fingers or bitch hands and then jordo and everyone would just tag on i mean it is true they are like stupidly tiny but uh you just gotta live with <laughs> i wasn't it. gonna say the second one but you did so yeah uh we, we, we crossed that hurdle um so ian came in direct we've had a lot of napsters on here we've had a few direct guys Ian came in direct, so he's got that going for him. Um, Milky wanted me to ask you about your favorite naps memory. <laughs> See, that's the thing. But it was like, you know, I think what was great about the guys who came from naps, starting like during the summer, um, just like, or at least for me, I felt like I was like immediately brought in to the fold of the naps guys. Like I, like, look, some of my best friends were direct the, guys. You're not, you're not the first one. Um, so yeah. it's good to talk about that. So, yeah, yeah. But, um, it just like, even like by the time we were seniors, I'd be talking to people who went to naps, whether they were ballers or not. And they'd be like, yeah, Ian, remember at naps? Like we did these things. And you know, I, I just, you hear the same stories over and over and over again, whether it's like, you know, at the Hojo and being on a blacklist. I don't know if that's, you know, Jimmy Dryden. The Hojo. Yeah, you know, things like that are just like uh, Tits McGee or, you know, naps after you hear these naps after taps, all these stories over and over. And uh, even like post 
Naval Academy, for other people are like, oh yeah, I remember we were back at Naps. And then like eventually I'm like, hey, you know, I didn't actually go to Naps. And they're like, oh shit, I had no idea. It just felt like you always did. And I was like, I know. So I, I think that's, I like, I like to think that that's cool. You know, like, yeah, I'm a Naps dude. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> you were sucked up into the group uh, inadvertently due to your, whatever that was that made you connect with those folks. So that's kind of cool. All right, let's see. So Ian, uh, after graduation, became a SWO, um, surface warfare officer. And I'm not going to name all your ships. And we'll maybe we'll get to that in your in your story. But um, positions that he's held through that, that career journey is first lieutenant. Real quick, what's a first lieutenant? I should know. In this. charge of like uh, the deck equipment. So like deck seamen, boats and mates, topside preservation, like the hardest working dudes on the ship. Best job ever. Nice. All right. So that was your first job. So that's a good indoctrination into probably what, you know, has gotten you where you're at today. Um, navigator. So the guy that's in charge of making sure we're on course, going the right direction, not running into other people. Um, and then you went to, Naval Postgraduate School. Got your master's in operations research. Uh, the next one, community management data analysis. But you put something in front of it called Bupers-3. What the heck does that mean? Bupers-3, was that was like the command where I worked at. That is community management. So I got a degree at postgraduate school, OR, which is like, hey, if, can be heavy data analytics. And uh, I remember the detailers asked us, hey, do you want to move back to Tennessee? And, you know, as you know, I'm from Tennessee, wrong side of the yeah. state uh, in Memphis, uh, but jumped at the opportunity um, to be there. I was only there for like 15 months. Summer moved there before me to start school as a boy, stayed after me to end as a boy. So she was there for about two years, uh, but it was good. But if you remember when I was in Memphis, that's when I came down and visited you. Uh, one yeah. time we were living there. And on the same trip I visited Austin, and his uh, kids gave me and our two boys at the time uh, diarrhea and throwing up. And it was the, the worst trip I've ever had um, <laughs> in my life. Just hugging Austin's toilet and uh, kicking my Austin. kid off it so I could throw up. So there's a karma or incidents <laughs> where baby fingers, that guy gave you the name there. It just came on right back. So um, I, I don't know. Maybe that's an inverse proportion. Uh, anyways. Memphis. Were you walking in Memphis or were you running in Memphis? Oh. I know you're a runner. Oh, yeah. You know what? There were sometimes we lived on base. I feel like I didn't even leave base for like two, three months. Um, and just that, you know, I went, I walked home for lunch every day with summer. I walked to work a lot of days. The kids' school was like a mile outside the gate. Um, we got out some, but I mainly stayed in, you know, small town Millington. I enjoyed it. Nice. Cool. Uh, so after that, uh, community management data analysis there in Tennessee, uh, moved on to become an OPSO on a ship. Uh, and then from there, another OPSO on a ship. So now you are the director of OOD. And when I read that, I think officer of the deck, um, phase one and two at Mariner Skills Training Center, Atlantic in Norfolk, Virginia. So you're training a lot of folks. Yeah. yeah. So I, I own two different courses. So there's uh, the first course, OD phase one, is for ensigns before they ever get to their ship. There's a nine-week course before that, but we basically take them, never been on a ship before their time's even started, get them through some rules of road, get them a lot of time in the simulators, 
um, so that when they get to their ship, they're able to, you know, like immediately assist in standing watch in the bridge. It's um, probably more simulator and whatnot. We get a lot of good reviews from students and things like that. And we tell them like, you know, the ship should feel good about getting these students as a uh, getting on the ship and immediately like helping out bridge watch teams. So that's like the first set. It's like brand new baby ensigns. The second course. Yeah. Did you go through? No. That? Yeah. So these are new. So if you remember like 2017, there was two collisions uh, at sea to cost the lives of 17 sailors. And there was this big, what we call it a comprehensive review. And what came out of that review is is basically the two courses that I own. I mean, there's some other things in the SWOKE the SWO community that change, but those the two courses that I own are part of that. So phase one is part of it. There used to just be a thing called basic division officer course, which still exists, and it's a predecessor's ours. Uh, Sean White is actually in charge of that course, and we nice. uh, we you know we, we work at the same command, so that's pretty awesome. Uh, but then the other courses, is he doing yeah, good? he is good, man. We've been there. He was he's been there a little bit longer than nice. me, uh, but it's good. It's the first time. Um, outside of Jordo being my neighbor in Millington, we were both there. It's like um, one of the first times of a guy that I played with being at the same command. So it's pretty sweet. Um, awesome. But then the other course is for so what's yeah. Two? So for the other course, you get um, officers after their first division officer tour. So 18, 24, 30 months, whatever it was, they come to us for a three week course, and we give them like an assessment on day one. It's a scenario where we look at um, how well they can drive the ship in a low density traffic area. You have to pass the assessment to get through the course uh, before you can go on your second uh, Divo tour. But it's kind of rebaseline everyone after they've been out to the fleet, got their qualifications, and to make sure we're all teaching to the same thing according to the rules of the road. So it's a much faster paced course, uh, more experienced people. Um, I got about 40 instructors, um, but it's a pretty good gig. I really enjoy it. Real quick question on that. Um... I feel like when you go to a course in the military, um, everybody like threatens, like you're going to fail if, but at the end of it, everybody passes. Yeah. Is it that type of thing? Like what happens when you Yeah. Fail? So in, in the first course, OD phase one, it's a straight pump. If you show up at my course on day one, no matter what, you're going to leave at the end of six weeks. And look, it's... Hopefully you take away some good yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, and it's And it's, look, these are, you know, people have never been to a ship yet, so we're not, you know, we're not trying to trite people before they've even been out there, and we kind of leave that on the onus on the ship. So that's the first one. In the case of the second one, you can definitely uh, fail out of course. Um, we haven't had that many, at least in my course. Uh, since I've been here, we've had... Um, Three. The numbers are still really low, but if you, it's mainly the assessment and the simulator that trip people up. Uh, and there hasn't been that many over the course, but if you can't make it through that, uh, they send you to Pocker Probationary Officer Continuation Review Board, and uh, you could, you know, the result of that could be gotcha. could be out of the Navy. Gotcha. Good. I'm glad that not everybody gets a trophy on that because <laughs> that's important. Hobbies. I asked you about hobbies, and you're like. Dude, I got four books, yeah, man. right? Like, and we'll get into that. I think that's your niche topic of this discussion is is your four boys and what you've summer been doing with them is, uh, um, you know, you're busy with your four boys, keeping mama happy, um, doing a lot of sporting events. Yeah, man. So that's good. Yeah. yeah. I tell you what, you know, all the boys are always in some sports, so I feel like all I'm doing is watching sports or when they're a little bit younger, coaching sports. Uh, or so watching their sports, coaching sports, or sitting on the couch watching the Braves or whatever other sports on, man. Yeah, diehard B Braves fan, right? And I think you know, we all, at least in our uh, class, in our circle, remember 
Ian for his uh, <laughs> and your dad uh, for the Braves and and how how much y'all love that. Uh, you were lucky to get to go to the the game six two years ago for the Braves and the World Series. Yeah, how'd that go? Like you can never, as a sports fan, I don't think there's anything I could do as any team I've ever loved more than watch the your favorite team growing up your entire life. Uh, my brother was in Houston. I just got back from underway, and I didn't want to fly to Game 5 in Atlanta because it was on Halloween, and I was deploying uh, not too long later. So I was like, well, I can't miss Halloween as the boys. So I told my brother, I was like, man, if you can get a ticket for Game 6, I'll fly down. And it was the day before the game at like 3 o'clock, and he's like, I got you a ticket. I immediately got on, bought a flight. He picked me up. I was in Houston for like less than 20 hours. We got there. Braves won it, and it was just the coolest thing ever. It was my older brother. Uh, watching it and I have to give credit to summer because I've always told her since we were dating I said I was like man I was like, if the Braves ever get in a World Series like I gotta go and then they get to the series I was underway and I didn't bring it up to her I'm just like uh, you know I said that way back when but I'm gonna deploy blah 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 and she wrote me she was like hey the Braves are in a World Series you gotta go and I was like you're damn right I do I was like remember nice and, as good as you know, like never a cooler moment than going to that game, man. I, I, it'll never be topped. Nice, awesome. Which older brother? Sean. So the one, the one most you guys know, the one who was a sub uh, submariner. Yeah, I'm almost yeah. Nice, the smart one. Yeah, yeah, he's down. He's down in Texas, man. He lives. Right. Or he still lives in Houston. Yeah. Cool. All right. So die, diehard Braves fan had a good memory there. Hobby of yours, distance running. How does that go? I mean, like, how's that treating your body today? And what kind of distances are you running? So I'm not nearly as committed to it as I should or I want to be. What I definitely don't do is ever lift weights. My really? my kids are my two old yeah, n- never. I'm like I'm like 195 pounds soaking wet with a brick. In I was going to ask because you were at 220 when you played, so. Yeah, 195. Yeah. Soaking wet was a brick in my hands. If I go lift with my boys, they try to get me to put up like heavy weight, and I, I just can't do it. And if I try to like stick with in anything, I can't move for like a week. Like I just don't enjoy it. I don't do it. So I try to run, and I, I think running is just easy for me. Like being um, a swole, there's always somewhere where you can run on the ship, whether it's a treadmill or maybe topside. And it's, it's like a stress release you know, for me. And I think I'm not as committed to it when I'm on short duty. I don't think I need that stress release because I'm not, you know, all that stressed. But uh, on the ship, I'm way more committed. And there was, I did run a marathon at one point. It was a a hellacious experience. My body did fall apart on me. Uh, But I did run one at one point several years back. Uh, I think I'm too scared to do it again. Um, But I do enjoy um, getting out and running, but not with the weights. Nice. Cool. You're now living in Chesapeake, Virginia. You've been there for the past four and a half years. Sound about right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Cool. With Summer and your four boys. So for those that don't know, Summer is his wife. Uh, she's awesome. Um, she's a big part of our lives, uh, during our time at the Academy. Um, you know, awesome spouse. And now we move into memories. Are you ready? I'm ready. 
right, Ose, Osa, Asante, uh, fellow SWO said, you're probably the best SWO he knows. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. The, yeah. So you're the director of OOD at phase one, two at, at a training center. Yeah, maybe. You know, uh, I had a guy tell me, um, this is where my exo says it. He goes, you know, if you talk to a pilot and you ask him about somebody uh, and they're like, what do you think of that guy? And if a, if a pilot thinks they're, you know, they appreciate the other guy, like, oh, hey, he's a good dude. He's a good dude. And uh, if you ask a swell what you think about somebody and I give their respect for something, they're like, oh, man, hey, he's smart. He's smart. I like to think that if people thought of me to describe to someone else, their immediate response would be, hey, he's a good dude. You know, like, I think swells get a bad rap. We're not all losers, and we don't all. You know, the, the old adage is we eat our young. I was like, yeah, maybe like 20, 30 years ago. There's a lot of good people out there who yeah. take care of people and, like, no. you know, do their do their job and lead people and things like that. And I've had, I know, I've had good CEOs. I've enjoyed, you know, I mean, that's, that's why I've just continued to stay. You know, it's a family decision every time. I mean, it was just summer night. It was, you know, just us having a conversation. Now all four boys get a say in that conversation. Where do they want to live? Do you want to keep doing this? And um, I've just enjoyed it. I know just the job and uh, the satisfaction of working with so many sailors and the, the sex, the, the success I've been a part of uh, across several different ships. It's been awesome. Nice. Yeah. Cause like there's, there's a stigma there. Like uh, as you go through the Academy, you want to try and do what you can do in the swell bucket is like, if I don't get what I want, then the swell is what I'm going to be. But for yeah. Ian, like, yeah, um, totally excelling at it. Totally makes sense. Uh, need more people like you and in the community that doesn't get enough attention. If that makes sense. Maybe. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. You know, I think, um, so you said something about the, the Naval Academy and I'll take this. I, some people will be, you know, they will have met me and they've been on the ship with me or wherever it is. And after like three or four months, like somehow it comes out in conversation. Um, hey, like, Oh, you went to the Naval Academy. Like I had no idea. I didn't think that. And my immediate response is like, Hey, F you dude, we're not all losers. You know, like, you know, I feel like that's, that's like, that's like what they're getting at. Like, Oh, you're like a normal person. Like, like I can't believe you went to the Naval Academy. Like, yeah, dude, there's normal human beings there. By the way, we're, we're there's a lot of good dudes uh, who look out for people and care. You know, just want to get their job done or whatever. Yeah, uh, and on the flip side, there's always a some bad apples in every bucket. Right? Yeah. So, and I get it. Yeah, I get it. I I know them too. Cool. All right, Bobby Doyle. He brought up um, a punch in the face by Nick Henderson. Uh, maybe <laughs> so, server selection night, dude. I um, you probably instigated I, that. I'm guessing. Yeah, if, you know, I was a really. I don't think I'm like that. I was a huge shit talker at our time, there. and I think that was you know always talking smack to everyone in the locker room. And this, hey, look, this was so messed up to say to Nick. And uh, I was actually I was listening to your podcast with him, and I was thinking about that exact thing, and I was like, you know, I need to make amends. I need to make amends on my. Um, <laughs> Service selection night, and I think that's the night that maybe did we have a keg, and then we went downtown. Like I think there was a bunch of us at like the house, and then we went. Anyways, I was hammered drunk, 
and uh, I think I think some company had been in Dog Street, but then we went in, and I remember I went in the Dog Street, and there was like all these wings on like a table, and I just started grabbing them, and eating them, and then I walked out like the front of Dog Street and just started throwing them like all over downtown at people, and then I saw I think Curtis was driving, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, I knew Nick. I, I mean, I think he wanted to go, um, you know, pilot. But I knew he had gotten NFL, and I'm hammered. And I run over to, you know, Darren Explorers, I don't know, some SUV, and I jump on the side, and I was like, ah, Nick, freaking NFL, man. It's sorry for you, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he had definitely been drinking. I had definitely been drinking. Total dick move. And he definitely punched right in the face. And then, like, Curtis was like, what the hell? And sped off. And then people were like, you're an idiot. I was like, yes. Yeah, I don't know. That was not cool. I don't think we ever talked about it after that, but I definitely I had, like, a – I think we had like a we had like practice the next day and I had like a pseudo black eye. Like, what happened? I was like, yeah, I told Nicky got in a phone and he did not like that. So Nick, I'm sorry, you know, young, drunk, being an idiot. I do apologize for that. He did. Uh, so Nick mentioned that uh, y'all did make amends the next day. So okay, good, good, good. I was yeah. I was probably still too hungover. <laughs> Funny how that works, right? All right, uh, Jeff Lenar. Um, he said that you always he always had a good time at your uh, house in the Nuga, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, while on leave. There was always a big social event. You know, the size of your family is huge, right? Like people are coming and going, uh, but it was a great time, especially with your brother Bryn. Uh, yeah, and Bryn, he yeah. said Bryn Bryn dove into a Christmas tree. That sounds about right, man. Yeah, we had Jeff up. It was over Christmas for sure. I think Jeff brought like a mini Heineken keg thing. I had some, uh, definitely some local friends there. I mean, my parents, look, once my oldest brother, Sean, who's six years older than me, went to college and started, you know, being allowed to drink, it became socially acceptable for like every child in the house to drink, whether you were like, you know, 14, 15, 16. And then, uh, as I continue, like every time, you know, when I would come home, you know, which is minimal when you're at the Naval Academy, always some kind of get together party. And, uh, as you mentioned, yeah, I have like, there's, I'm one of nine kids. So there was already probably a million people in the house. My parents are awesome. And, uh, yes, they are. And, uh, and, my and for are the group, what does your dad do? Cause I remember like when we first became parents, we were like reaching out to, you yeah. threw through you to to your dad about yeah, yeah. like hey this is what's going on with our kids like what's your yeah, dad yeah. do pediatrician so he he is officially retired it did happen finally nice uh, a couple Good years ago but he can he'll definitely still answer questions and then Bryn who Jeff mentioned there is now also uh, a pediatrician so you know awesome. if you need older brother Bryn. You know, a couple things. I'll send them a message. Uh, I do with my kids all the time. I like to get my prescriptions through my brother or my dad so I don't have to take my kids to the doctor. It's a good hookup to have. Nice. Um, yeah, your dad's the man. Um, I'm sure he knows that. We all yeah. like hanging out with him and learning from him. So that was good. All right. Uh, last memory uh, from Gary. <laughs> or... Bayard Roberts, um, how much your folks were like a good part of the team parents group, like the Campbells, the Schaefers, the ones that always showed up, yours were 
or one of those in that group, uh, you're always, you were always able to walk the walk in the hall, in the locker room, um, that you got some good playing time as a sophomore. And dude, I remember that too. You made a lot of good tackles, got in on some games, but then you had this shoulder injury and I kind of crushed uh, a few things there. So uh, that was from Gary. And Gary was the name that you gave Bayard Roberts based off of the movie uh, Remember the Titans, right? Yeah, man. I still call him that to this day, and I know he hates me uh, yes, for he does. one story about that. I mean, the worst, the, and I, I remember how pissed he was. So his parents had, um, had, had come up to a tailgate, and I don't remember, and it was after, like, you know, the same parents came, all the ones you just mentioned, awesome, they were at it one night, and his parents came over, and uh, Kevin Campbell's dad went up to talk to, to Gary's parents. And they're referring to their son, Baird, uh, as Gary. It's Gary. And he's talking about Gary this, Gary that. Oh, we, we love your job. Well, one. And then uh, Kevin's so parents Gary. walk away. And, uh, <laughs> and Baird's dad looked at me. He's like, hey, who's Gary? And I remember Baird couldn't have been more pissed. He was so embarrassed. He's like, my freaking parents don't even know. Like, people are coming up and talk to him. Other parents saying all these things. And they keep referring to me, Gary. And he's like, it's your freaking fault, dude. You gotta let it go. And I was like, dude, you are Gary. You're you're Gary or Baird Nun Roberts the fourth. Like, None. which one would you prefer? Yep. You know, like which one? Take take it. I actually I called him, I don't know, a couple weeks ago or whatnot, and I was calling him Gary, and he was uh, he was like, I mean basically was like, dude, you gotta let that go. Like, nobody calls me that anymore. I was like, I'm never gonna call you anything else. Like, I don't <laughs> what are you expecting me at this point? You're Gary, man. Right. No, it's a good uh Good memory for for Baird to talk about you and you know your parents and how you walk the walk and all that kind of stuff. Um, I hope that Gary understands how important Gary was and how Baird Nunn was for all of us because he was a big yeah, part of the team. So, all right, <clears throat> those are all the memories that I got. Um, and then we're about to get into your story. What'd you have for breakfast today? I had cereal and some coffee. What kind of what kind of cereal? I uh, it wasn't Lucky Charms. I had that yesterday. The fun cereal. Nice. There's some down there, like honey honey oats. Maybe is that the cereal? Honey. I think it wasn't box. in the. It wasn't in a box. It was just sitting out in plastic. So I I think that's what it was. Gotcha. So you're making do. Awesome. All right. Uh, story. Go into your story. Tell us more about Ian Meredith. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, you had it. Grew up in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. And uh, we talked to my brother. So my, my brother went to the Naval Academy, six years older than me. So I was, you know, and, and then when he went, you know, I'm sitting there like, well, I don't want to do like what my brother did. You know, he's six years older, but as you get into high school, and you start looking at it. And I was, I was a solid football player, whatnot. And Coach Jones was my recruiter, right? And um, yeah, I started getting some looks, and he's contacted me. And uh, Air Force is also contacted me. But those are like that's that's it for like D one. There was you know a bunch of you know now FCS or one AA schools in the area, Wofford, Richmond, or whatnot. 
but my brother had gone to Naval Academy and, you know, I knew a lot about it because of that. And, um, and at that point he was, you know, serving in the Navy. So I have you know, I think unlike a lot of people who are direct, like I knew what I was getting into, you know, like I, I remembered him, you know, like living through that kind of with him, but like going to the Naval Academy was like my only opportunity to play division one football. Like Air Force recruited me, but there was no way I was going to like my mom didn't want me to go to Colorado. My brother was already in the Navy, et cetera. Like like it was that was it. It was the easiest recruiting effort ever, you know, by Coach Jones. Like I I was sold day one. I wanted to go there so bad. You know, so I ended up there. Um just like everybody I already talked about, like every Napster into the fold. The other football players that I had to play was Luke Laguerra, who left, I think, after freshman year, and uh and Stephen Tripp. Um, was in my company and he left or whatnot. So I was the only guy um, who was still a player of my class. There, I don't like Galleon and, and Pick and Dewan Price were um, seniors. I was there, so I got taken care of. Like that was a, that was a good group to be in their company or whatnot. So they're pretty sweet. Hundred percent. Yeah, man. But like you said, you know, getting into um, the sophomore year, so I was I was playing some. Um, Matt Wimsat, who I love. I wish I wish I was still in contact with a guy like that. And I think I don't remember what it's probably fourth or fifth game of the year playing Duke. And I was on the wedge. And I you know, this was a crazy, this was one of those like crazy high scoring games, right? And it was like the seventh so kickoff return of the day. Yep. And they hadn't hit the wedge a single time. But I remember like forming up back there and looking like down the field and like seeing a guy who had like crazy eyes. And there was like, and I was like, this guy's like, he's about to destroy the wedge, you know. Who? And Who uh, this Duke, I don't know. It was Duke, you know. It was in the game, but I remember like they they've been so soft on it all day. It was like one of those where I formed up and I could just see like the t- like this guy's eyes looked like he was going to try to murder me. And I was like, this guy's going to hit the wedge. Gotcha. Right. So from that you know, we hit, got it. yeah, man, we hit. I got up and I was like, man, my shoulder feels like kind of funny. I can't really move it. I remember going off. The doctor was like, "All right, Marcus, what's wrong?" And uh, he starts, yeah, you know, I'm sure he said that originally. And he starts trying to touch, and I was like, "Oh my god, like, quit touching my shoulder." We take off the helmet, shoulder pads, and I look down, and my shoulder is like visibly not where it should be. And I was like, "That's probably not good." Uh, You know, they eventually put it in place there. I lost the rest of that season. Um, Unfortunately, I think, I think in hindsight, I didn't get fully cleared to play spring ball that year. So I guess sophomore going into junior. I was in like a green jersey. I think that's what we did. And if I could go back in time, I would have just said like, like maybe I'm not fully recovered, but like screw it. Um, because I didn't participate too much. And then by the time, you know, junior fall ball came around, I would contest. I mean, at least I remember having a conversation with Coach Jones about this, like late in fall camp, like literally as the season started. Um, in my mind, I felt like um, I didn't get a fair shot when we came back in fall ball. Like, like, yeah, I was there and I played a bit. Like, there was no way I was going to make the depth chart. And, you know, that's like for guys who go there, who, you know, all of us, like studs in high school, captains of their teams, played. And I knew at that moment, before the season even started my junior year, that I was probably never going to play again. You know, I played a couple games my sophomore year, best shape of my life is awesome. But leaving fall camp, I think our first game that year was against Towson, and Shun ran for like 250 or something like that. But I knew yep. that like my time, <laughs> like I just wasn't going to be a player. 
like on a team. And uh, and that's that was tough to swallow. I remember talking to him yeah. and telling him that and like being like like in tears. And I remember calling my dad and I was telling my dad, I was like, I feel like I like I just want to say something. It was just on my chest. He's like, I think I think you need to see like you need to go talk to him. You like you just you owe it to yourself to have that conversation. I did. And whatever after that, like I would I would give you know my soul to anyone on that team and do anything for them. And while I knew I wasn't going to play, but that like yes, that upset me. But I don't think like there was nothing I did differently from then on out was the team. You know whether I was over on scout team or I was showing young bucks something or whatever, or you know just being in the film room with guys and showing them things or talking to guys when they came out the field. Like knowing that you're never gonna play is tough, but it's just part of the culture there. Like you're on a team, no matter whether you're the tenth dude on a depth chart, first dude on a depth chart. I mean, it is, you know, that brotherhood. You would do anything, what you know, no matter what. Or it, you know, it's not even on the field. It's like, hey, when you're back in the hall and Andy Hart comes back to the to the to the <laughs> hall hammer drunk and they know you live directly above and they're like, hey, Ian, like Andy just got back. Can you come help us? And I'm like, shit, is Kevin not there? Because they're roommates. And they're like, no, we need help. You know, like, you know, like that's like a simple, you know, like that's one of those things. Or your daddy, like, yeah, man. I got him. That's my brother. I got him. But you know, like stuff like that. I do anything for anyone. I just loved it. And I know people always reciprocated. Like the only reason I never got in trouble at school senior year. I mean, cause I got blackout drunk. I think every single weekend. It was probably senior. because of Andy Lark. Well, no. Yeah. No, he, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're catching Ross Pospisil because oh, Ross, yes. you know, he's our the captain. Man. He's our dude. And he would go down there to Dog Street, you know, and he'd hang out with us and he'd be cool. Or like, or guys like Barrett you talked about, or, you know, Amanda was living in Annapolis and I would like, you know, I'd tell her I'd be in breakfast or she'll be crashing the couch. But like, I don't ever remember, I'd, I'd wake up in the hall and I'd be like, I don't know how I got here. I'd wake up and Amanda's like, I don't know how I got here. Or like guys like Barrett or Ross, or, you know, like they'd just be like, yeah, we took you there. And I'd be like, thank God. Because I don't know, you know, like. Just everyone looking out for each other all the time, like yeah. no idea, you know. It was awesome. Um, so I mean, that's that's football, like you said. Went slow. Um, Summer and I got married. What I guess two weeks after you got married, you know, we had we had an epic, you know, celebration. Chattanooga. We, our first duty station was in. So much fun. Um, we did. Class, we first, we did the Copperhead Road. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, people are loving it. You do you every party I've ever been with. You guys do that. Like people are yeah. yelling your names. The, the last it's time fun. I did the Copperhead Road, it didn't go so well. So, oh man, I'm glad. Out of uh, yeah, true. Out of practice. Our first duty station was down in um, Mayport. Left there, um, went to San Diego, and I guess it's what I started talking about. So. We weren't, you know, you just assume when you get married and you're thinking about kids, like, hey, you'll just get pregnant and um, you'll have kids. And about the time we were in San Diego, we, you know, you know, we've been married for several years now. We're just like, hey, you know, we can't get pregnant. Like tons of friends are getting pregnant around us. People are asking, we won't have kids. You're like, yeah, we won't have kids. Like we just can't get pregnant. You know, both of us went to the doctors. Um. You know, they said, you know, nothing wrong, just unexplained pregnancy, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So we get up to Monterey and I'm in postgraduate school 
And even when Summer and I were dating, she had always talked about wanting um, to adopt. And, you know, you just think like, oh, we don't need to adopt. Like, well, this, we just have kids, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it, if you remember, like, I have five adopted siblings growing up, right? So um, there's nine of us, but I have five adopted siblings. But you just, so we get up there, we're like, okay, well, let's look into this. So we start going to these, these we go to an informational meeting about um, to foster um, and adopt. So we sit through it, and at this point, we've probably been up there for a year. We don't have much time till we got to leave, and we're like, well, I guess, you know, I think this is something we want to do. So we sign up for these classes. They're like nine weeks long. We're driving two hours from Monterey to San Jose, California once a week um, to go through these kind of parenting classes. They're doing these home study things or stuff like that. Um, but I remember they asked us, like, hey, you know, like, do you want to adopt like a baby or something like that? And we're like, well. I don't know. Um, and that's what we wanted, but we found out like everybody wanted to adopt like a baby. We were like, well, like if everybody wants to, like how are we going to get one? You know, and, and in the foster care system, because that's what we adopted, there's kind of, there's more steps to go through before you can actually get to like final adoption um, because of that. Um, so we are like, well, maybe we would want like an older kid who can like wipe his own ass and, and like uh, do things on his own or ride a bike and they go to school so we said that and they're like hey you know what if we were like interested in fostering and adopting like an older kid and they're like oh how old are we like i don't know like age 10 and they're like would you take siblings and we're like yeah definitely and they're like yeah you're gonna get kids like the day class is done and we we're like what and they're like yeah nobody wants older kids and nobody wants siblings we're like oh it's perfect and they were right you know we did those classes um i won't get into like the nuts and bolts of you know, how all that works but um dylan and well, i got i got out. questions about the nuts and bolts so we'll get oh, okay. to those questions okay i got like or at least is... seven of them so <laughs> this is right, your niche yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah no super awesome story man like what you and summer are doing with those kids like that's totally different like that's you know out of this world patience perseverance um <clears throat> you know, fortitude type stuff. Like I want to hear more about that. So we'll get there, but yeah. keep going with the story. So the oldest two, um, Dylan and Eric are biological brothers and they moved into our house. We're in California. I want to say they officially moved in Halloween 2015. Um, we, they, it's like a, we do like kind of a dating process where like we met them at a park and then we they hung out at our house and they spent the night one night but they officially moved in in um october 2015 that's right dylan was let's see her nine eric was eight um so i went there and you know it, like the beginning is like they call it like the honeymoon like, oh this is great you know like everyone loves each other like look they do, they do it as kids now or, or previously, like, um, there was certainly a honeymoon phase, you know, like everyone loves each other. It's great. But then like, you know, you got kids and kids don't always, you know, listen to what you're doing. You don't always want to listen to what you're doing. There's, you know, struggles there for Summer and I early on. But, you know, even when you're fostering and adopting, they tell you you have to like guard your heart because in the foster care system, the ultimate goal when you're in a foster care system was always return um, children to biological families um of some sort um that didn't that wasn't that didn't happen 
um, was Dylan and Eric. It took us, you have to live in your house for um, six months. Um, we finalized their adoption after, let's see here, 11 months. And at that point, I was the only one still living in California. And Summer had moved to Tennessee, which we were going to go next. So Dylan and Eric um, could start uh, school on time. So I was living alone. Uh, but like going from, I think at that time when we brought the kids, I think we both lost like 15, 20 pounds. Like I, I think that is when I got down to like 190, 195. We brought two boys into the house. I was, uh, we were like too scared to drink. And then like, you know, you cook for each other and you have these leftovers, you eat up and then you bring in two boys. And then I found out, I was like, man, there's like no food to eat. And they like, they always, and they, but they always wanted to like do something. You know, like they like, you know, couldn't play like by themselves. Like everything to me was mom and dad, which you were like thankful for it because you know, it's like, this is awesome. But it's like, you're constantly doing something, you know, like I was definitely stressed, you know, whatever. But I, I probably, I can't attribute, you know, probably at that time I was still, you know, closer to what I weighed, you know, in school, like probably 215. But like ever, it was, we looked at each other we're like, who are we? Like, we're dying. You know, like this is, this is crazy, you know, whatever. But, you know, I'm so thankful. Um, Dylan, like Dylan and Eric are now sophomores in high school. Like I got a driver now. Crazy. Like it's crazy, dude. You know, he turned 17 in a couple weeks. My oldest. Did he did he buy his own car? Or did you fork that one up? So uh he, you know, actually, I for the first time since Summer and I uh, have been married, I got to get a car. We always Summer gets the oh. car and I get the handy down. So you upgraded her. and passed I upgraded to an F-150 nice. and we passed on summer's car that she had previously given me uh to dylan and that's what he's rocking he's, rock, he's rocking an escape but it's actually he's still like he's still so new to his license he still thinks like picking up his brothers and driving around places is cool so he's all about it so i'm all, I'm all about that too like oh i don't need to go get anybody like oh nice. i'm all for it go for it man you can get good compromise right there yeah 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 it is good it's it keeps keeps summer and i at home which i appreciate awesome um but you know we so we have you know two boys now and then, so now we've moved uh, to Tennessee, and, and I'll fall in in this portion of it. So um, I know a lot of people know this about me, but I was so Summer had moved to Tennessee was the older two boys, and I was in in uh, Monterey still finishing up school, and I had noticed what I would consider a little bit of a health concern, like near my time there, and uh, what I noticed is I was like, I think my testicle is getting bigger. And it's one of those things where I was living alone. I'm like Googling stuff and, you know, I'm reading. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm probably all right. I'm like self-diagnosing, blah, blah, blah. And this is probably like going on for a month before I left. But by the time I left, I was like, all right, this thing is definitely bigger. But I was like, I don't want to go to a doctor because in my mind, I was like, what if there is something wrong and I can't leave? So, you know what? I'm going to drive to Tennessee and like, I'll show Summer and, you know, she'll solve it. I get to Tennessee, you know, like this is true. This is what I did. I get there and, uh, I show up, you know, it's like a, I show up on like a Tuesday. Um, and you know, I show summer and I, I whip her, I whip them out and she looked and she goes, Oh my God, that thing's wrong. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, thanks babe. But, uh, you know, she was like, you know, when you look and you're like, yeah, you're right. Is that why I'm like killing it in the weight room right now? Yeah. 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 Or not. (laughs) No. You know, and so we were like, shit, all right. So that's a Tuesday. On a Wednesday, I go to the ER. Um, 
I go to a clinic on base and I tell them what's wrong. And they're like, yeah, we can't help you. You just need to go to the ER. And I'm like, okay, thanks. So I go to the ER and I tell them, they like rush me back. So I'm like, that's a little concerning, but whatever. They do like a, I do a urinalysis. They take some blood work. We do like, I guess what I would consider like, uh, kind of like a sonogram, but of my, you know, test or whatever. And they don't say anything. So I go back in the room and, um, and then they come back after a while and they're like, hey, they need to, um, they wanted you to do a chest x-ray and a CT scan. And I'm like, what? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm like, okay. So I'm going to wait and I'm at the chest x-ray. I tell the nurse, I was like, hey, can you tell the doctor to like, come see me? Like, I don't know what's happening. And they're like, why? Like, what's wrong? I was like, they're like, what are you here for? I was like, I have a really big testicle. And they're like, oh, that is strange. So I do that. Then I go back and I'm in the room and a doctor shows up and uh, he just looks at me and says, hey, um, we looked at it. You most likely have cancer and you have to do the chest x-ray and the CT scan to make sure that the, uh, that the cancer hasn't spread over your body. And I'm like, holy shit, like, that's not what I'm expecting right now. And that was like, I think in the whole ordeal of having cancer, I would say that was the lowest point um for summer night. I think the only time we we're just like totally floored and like probably like didn't know what to do for like, you know, a short period of time, like, oh my God. And I was I think I was most upset with myself because I knew something was wrong. And I was afraid that by waiting for so long that maybe I had like cancer spread over my body. Um fortunately, like 30 minutes later, the doctor comes back, he's like, hey, we looked at your chest x-ray, looked at your CT scan. It doesn't look like the cancer has gone anywhere else. And I was like, oh, my God, thank God. Well, so he sends me to a urologist. This is like this is a Wednesday. On a Friday, I go to a urologist, and I, I like sit down with him. I meet him. He's not much older than me. And he's like, all right, we're going to take it out. I was like, we're going to take what out? He's like, we're going to take your testicle out. And I was like, oh, okay, that's a big deal. And he's like, yeah, we're going to do it on – he's going to do it on, like, Tuesday. And I was like, man, that's, like, a week after I got here. So – um, there's like no biopsy. You just got to take out. So I go in, he takes it out. Successful surgery. I had this like elevated marker in my blood when the cancer was there. And as soon as he took it out, uh, it lowered. And then, and then he sent me to uh, an oncologist. Right. And he was like, Hey, right now you have like a 90% chance of never having cancer again. I was like, okay, that's pretty good odds. And he was like, if you do some chemo, it'll take it to like 98, 99. And I was like, all right, sounds good. Sign me up. So I did a little bit of chemo. It was good. I, I kept my luscious hair uh, the entire time. Yeah, you uh, get more hair nice. than me, so nice work. Yeah, man. I kept it. Um, I did that. That was, I guess, I, I did my last chemo session. Uh, let me think here. Like I don't know, beginning of 2017. And then for a number of years, for like five years, I did like blood work every six months and I would do a CT scan for like the first three years. And then after five years, they're like, yeah, you're just as likely to get cancer that, you know, as anyone else. So that was like, I was like, great. So nice. I guess so, I'm in early 22. What, once you get the diagnosis, once you understood like, Hey, I got, a, I got cancer. Um, and then 
after a few days, after a week, whatever, was there anything that you started to do differently versus no. before, or is it just normal operations? And no, no matter. I think the the I just remember like summer was so strong during the whole time. Like, like I never felt like my health was like in this crazy danger because every time I would go to my doctor, you know, we check all my. This is like pre-cancer after cancer you know during chemo you know he'd pull my he'd do my blood work and he'd be he'd always start with he'd be like yeah if i didn't know you had cancer like i just think you're a normal guy like i i stayed very healthy the whole time and nice. um i didn't like change it's just i think in men i think it's like men age 20 to 35 are like that have the highest percentage of testicular cancer like i was just in that in that window um and that happened yeah. but i think just I think what kept us like, like, and we hadn't been parents very long at that point. I think that just kept us like, you know, happy and like not too worried about it. It's just like, I think the fact that we had the kids and summer was just like so strong and like in control of like, I have to do these for us and whatnot. Cause you know, like during chemo, like there were some down days where I'm like not feeling like too hot and like post-surgery and things like that. But we're summer, like the same and just awesome wife and that she is just took over for me and the boys, um, which was awesome. Um, but I, I tell that's that story for another reason because um, that happened. And then, you know, they were like, "Well, we're probably can't have kids now because I had to seek her cancer and I'm fertile." And so now we're we're still on short duty, and we've got two boys. And like Summer and I are, I guess, crazy. So we're like, "Oh, like, do we want more kids?" And we didn't have much time left before I needed to go back to um, to sea duty, and. So we were like, oh, like, do we think that we're satisfied it was two or three? So we're like, oh, so we we dipped our toes in again. Um, nice. like, and that's our two youngest boys, um, Trevor and Trenton. They moved into our house in late 2018. And I left the house to go to Rhode Island for like six months. And Summer had all four boys by herself for like, six seven months almost immediately after we went from two boys to four boys which was pretty incredible on her and it was a pretty tough time for us all though because all the older boys like oh i want younger brothers and then when and then when you give them you know what they want they're like yeah maybe i don't want younger brothers uh, but you know it worked out there and uh, then we, we were, after i lived up in rhode island for a bit we were able to meet back together and um in Chesapeake, and we've been here since, I guess, middle of twenty. I guess twenty. I got that data. Yeah, twenty eighteen, and uh, it's been good. It's the first time we've had multiple duty stations in a row here. Um, Trevor and Trenton's adoption was, you know, finalized six months after we got them, so that was awesome. There were certainly growing pains for going from two boys to four boys, and that first appointment with Summer was just as the boys was just maybe probably the toughest time like on our, our marriage and the boys with each other. Cause you know, they moved in the house and dad was on short duty, like short duty. Dad's awesome. Short duty. Dad's like always home. You know, short duty. Dad can do everything. Dad's on the ship. It's like, dad's never home. Dad comes home after dinner. Dad leaves yeah. for a long time. And, and that was so difficult. And, and you know, the older ones are getting to the teenage years and things like that. Um, but after we got through that and got to, you know, settled in the house, more in the schools. And it really has, you know, it's been so good. The boys, the boys have been awesome. You know, they're now, so Trevor and Trent moved in when they were eight and seven. They're now 14 and 12. 
So we've got three teenagers, two high schoolers, one seventh grader, and a fifth grader. You know, which is which is nuts. I, you know, I, I could never, you know, believe that um, when someone I got married, you know, almost 13 years ago now. Um, but it's such a such a blessing, and just the boys are incredible, and uh, couldn't be happy. Crazy. I'm thinking about like, so I'm working through some stuff with my my kids, and they're only, you know, four, eight, and ten, and then all of a sudden you get like a nine and eight that become sixteen year olds. Uh, you get an eight and a seven, and now they're a 13, 14. That's a crazy age for kids, like where they're discovering things that, um, you know, that <laughs> they need guidance and they need attention and like way higher levels of attention versus yeah, uh, uh, four, eight, and 10. So that's nuts. What Just be careful, man. Teenagers. Teenagers are not cool, not cool yeah. at all, man. I remember. I remember my I parents was, talking about that yeah. when I was. Yeah, yeah. All those <laughs> stories where parents are like, "Oh, and your teens are like, that's a real thing." And I got three. Uh, of them. <laughs> I I don't really know. Um, I'll get there, but I'll, I'm trying to be prepared for that. Uh, what inspired you guys to adopt your boys? I think, um, you know, sometimes when people talks to us about we've talked to a lot of people about this and some people are like oh you know you're i think it's like hey you're great people you did that and i and i think for us it wasn't like it was just like to something like we just really wanted to start a family like we felt like we had a lot to offer and for whatever reason we weren't able to get pregnant and um so we were we thought it was a good time in our lives to bring children into it you know, private adoption, we looked at that a little bit, but it's, it's fairly expensive. But when you look, I think in California at the time we were there, there was like 65,000 kids who were in a foster care system or something like that. We're like, you know, maybe this is what we should do. And uh, I wouldn't go back and change a thing about our decision to do that once and then for a second time. And it was really just about like we wanted to have a family together and we couldn't get pregnant. And this was kind of the only avenue we had. And then after we did it once, it was like, hey, like we want our family to grow. So we did it again. And uh, it's just been such I mean, wow, a tough experience, which is awesome as well. Man. Awesome. Um, what about the challenges, like going through the adoption process? What kind of you know challenges did you have going through that course? Yeah, it's difficult because like there's a there's kind of a waiting period. There's there's like a legal side of it um, where where biological family kind of has a say in things or stuff like that. So there, there's challenges on that side um, to go through that. But you know, I think the courses we went through prepared us for a lot of things. It's very like like I think our parenting technique I would say is slightly different because there's kind of some rules like you can't do like hey you're like we're like when we were foster care, like we we're not allowed to spank your kids. And I have never, you know, whatever. I think if uh, someone had had, we had five kids, like I definitely would have like, spanked the hell out of them at some point. No, but I've never no, done I've it with uh, Dylan. Like, I've, even after, okay. you know, finalized adoption, like Dylan, Eric, Trevor, that was a rule in foster care. So we just continue to go forward. You know, and I think that's good because look, you know, like there's a reason, you know, that um, a kid, you know, can be, you know, is found in, you know, foster care, the backgrounds and things and where they grew up in is, is challenging there's a reason they're in that position it's a different kind of 
um, childhood, things like that. And, and I think that's good. We would, you know, um, or whatnot. But I think I think more of the challenge is not so much that, like, the process of, like, having them in your home is, I think our toughest times are, like, the integration of the boys, you know, kind of together. And then, um, like, like, everybody loves the baby trend, as we call it. You know, like everyone loves the baby, but like those challenges between like older and younger and those rivalries, um, you know, growing up in the like teenage years yeah. and things like teenage that. Now, and, and I wasn't, yeah. yeah, and I wasn't, and I was, and I was missing for like a, a large portion of some of those years where it was just summer. And, and we had to kind of change up, you know, how we parented where I would just, um, I would, I, I felt like if I was on the point or far, I would try to do parenting from like email or like always phone calls. And I had to, we had to like kind of change it up where I just, I didn't do those things. Like if, whatever mom said, it went, whether I Mom's liked it, if I agree. Yeah. If I agreed with it or not, it didn't matter. Like if mom said it, I was totally behind it and I just, you know, whatever. And that, that seemed to work better for us during some of those more difficult. And I think the, the kids were more receptive to that where like every time I call is not because like I'm mad or I'm lecturing them. Like nobody wants that. I didn't want that. They didn't want that. True. Uh, were there any special resources or support systems that you guys leaned on that you thought were helpful during that time? Yeah, there was there was actually uh, another really good um, friend of ours who were in postgraduate who were basically going through the same process, um, which was nice. You know, they were a little bit ahead of us, and I think they'd already had a kid in their home before that. So, like those shared experiences with them, we kind of went through like a third. Like it, it goes through like the state, but we went through a third party agency and we, well, we, instead of like, I'm a social worker for the kid, we basically had like a social worker who was like our social worker and it was always looking out, you know, like on our behalf and things like that. That was in California and that carried over, um, in Tennessee. Um, there was, and there's like, we, the boys, you know, through the state or things like that, when they're foster care, all the therapies you could ever want, um, and things like that. And same thing in Tennessee. You know, we're great. And, and there's plenty of things that the Navy, you know, can offer as well. But we still had a lot of things through the state. But there was more than enough, like, willing hands to get us through the process, which was great. Uh, let's see. How many and have you had any breakthrough moments with those kids? I'm sure you, you know. Have. Yeah. I, I go back and I talk about this a lot. So our youngest, Trenton, he was seven um, when he moved in. And uh, Trenton, he's he's a, he's pretty tiny, so he's like 12 years old now. But people look at him, they're like, oh, and they meet him, and they're like, oh, is he like eight or nine? And he's like, no, I'm 12. I'm in, and they're like, oh, sorry. Like, I'm so sorry. No, I guess I'm I've been 12. Home. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think like one of those things, like when he first moved in, he was in um, first grade. And he moved in kind of halfway uh, through the year. And we transitioned from Tennessee to Virginia um, that first year. But when he moved in in first grade, and like I didn't know any better because I'd never had a first grade in my life. Like Dylan and Eric were a little older, and I don't know what it's like. But he, but he essentially like couldn't read. And uh, so when we moved states, we repeated the grade. And and now while wow, he's you know like he's doing great and things like that, but like you know he still is maybe not as academically at the level that maybe you know he should be or something like that in, in some cases. But when we look back in some of those early years where like maybe his like standardized tests are a little below, but you just see the leaps that he's taken over the course of however many years. Like we look back and we're like, I mean like 
he couldn't even read when he moved into our house. You know, like what you know, like when he was he was scared of his own shadow and things like that. And now he's you know he's super outgoing and things like that. And they're like, I think we went to a meeting with this teacher, and she was like, yeah, he's actually like starting to get in a little bit trouble now because he's talking to his classmates. And some of them are like high fiving under the table. We're like, thank God, you know, like we're like like oh that's, that's a weird. Right we're like. There. Yeah, we're like telling him, we're like, yeah, dude, get in trouble at school for talking. He's like, oh, yeah. We're like, yeah, keep it up, man. I like to hear that, you know. Awesome. You know, or he's, or he's like. That's the best. When you're fun. trouble. Yeah. When, you, when your uh, kid gets in trouble at school and you're like, that was a good reason to get in trouble. You grew. I'm happy. Yeah, man. Uh, actually, yeah. in this situation. So keep it up. Because. Yeah. yeah, man. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. And it's just been. Um... Oh, you go, man. All right. Uh, second to last question on this topic is uh, how do you find balance, especially with all your deployments? And it's like, it seems like Ian's been deployed more than anybody else that I know within my group um, that you figure out the needs for each child uh, and still find ways to take care of yourself, especially with Summer, yeah. the wife. How's that work for you? Yeah, I've, I think someone likes to tell me I'm like the kiss of bad luck for going to a ship. Like I, I always get to a ship that's not in the yards or not like working up for deployment. I like to get there. It's like the most, the busiest time and then deploy and then continue to stay like kind of in a way. And it's been like that for four ships now. Like it's, I don't know what it's it is. funny how that works. The best folks yeah. get put in the worst situations, right? Yeah. And like professionally, like that's good. I don't have to do some of the like stuff I wouldn't rather do, but like, yeah. family wise and personally like it's not good like at all true um i tell people when people ask me like like i think it was just summer and i like wow difficult that's like a whole different you know other thing was just you and your wife and, you know and you can cope with that uh, but when the boys were introduced what makes it difficult is there's so many other family events that you're going to miss it's not just like you're in summer's events now like everyone's got a birthday like we celebrate move-in anniversaries with all the boys we celebrate adoption anniversaries with all the boys like there's all these extra things which are like very meaningful to each boy and stuff like that so i think was all those like the biggest thing that we that someone i always try to do is like plan ahead for those things that we know we're going to miss and when we can pull things forward in a memorable way or i always before i go on like a deployment or along the way i always try to take each boy and they get to pick the day like you choose what we do all day and we do this this thing alone or things like that and i found that um i think it was like halfway through my first appointment after we had had the boys where summer i told me she's like oh yeah and, and I, I would try to write like the boys letters and they would be sometimes like very short uh, or things like that and she was like yeah the the boys love it when you write letters you know like hey they may love it they never write me back you know ever but she's like oh they love it they get so excited it's like why didn't you you know you tell me that so uh more recently on the most recent ones i would write a i'd write like one letter a week and you know they would never write me back but that's okay but i just you know she had told me they liked it i was like well i can do that like that's like simple things like that to try to like stay in their lives when you're away or it was cooler was the boys being older especially the oldest too they would be you know have like their own emails and they would be you know pretty into emailing me back and forth or stuff like that because once you like when you pull into like on a port visit like you know talking to kids kids don't want to talk on the phone like you talk to them one day and after five minutes, they're like, all right, I'm good. Like if I was in a port for like a couple of days, I'd call them. And then like the next day I'd call Summer and 
she'd be in a room with him like you want to talk to dad They're like we just talked to him yesterday like what are yeah, you we're, we're dude, playing like, roblox <laughs> yeah i know but dude <laughs> like that's been gone for like five months like we just saw him yesterday why would we want to talk again i'd be like all right chop chop whatever man nice yeah. kids are resilient 100 percent right. uh what do you think their hopes and dreams are for them in the future what's your gauge there i was yeah, the craziest thing, you know, like like I said, the oldest two are sophomores. Um, so they're, they're like not far out from like being out of the house, which is good. more years, man. Um, I know, man. So my, my oldest is cool. He got in this, they've got, um, it's called a, it's like a local program that works at the high school. And um, it's kind of like a segue to trade schools. And my oldest got into this two-year program uh, next year, um, a welding program. And he can basically nice. translate. Yeah. Welding is and we're, in high demand. So yeah, and even if even if he hadn't got into it, he was just all about like going down to the shipyard and walking. But he's gets he's gonna have this two year program, so that's awesome. Underwater, um, you know, someone else had mentioned that to him as Dude, well. I mean, big I, money well, underwater. That's <laughs> you know, someone else was talking to him about that, and he was like, "Oh, really?" Blah blah blah. I was like, you know, can we just stay above for now? Like, just, let's yeah, just get through this two year high yeah, school program. Start yeah. there, right? And a lot of a job opportunity around here, especially the shipyards. Um, you know, and the the next one, the other um, sophomore, Eric, you know, he's he aspiring to go to college now. Like, who knows what you want to do? And um, my, my seventh grader just want, he wants to be a gym teacher because his gym teacher wears sweatpants and a T-shirt every day. And he thinks that that's a good way to live life, you know, in gym pants and a sweatshirt. And, and, our, and our youngest, he's still, you know, our youngest is still at that age where it's still like he's the only one who still wants to be around mom and dad. Like, we're still cool. Like he wants to hang out with us. So he just like wants to be um, my assistant, which I'm, you know, we've, we've got some agreements, very yeah. small salary. He's got to do a lot of work for me or whatnot, but he's totally on board. He just wants to live in a closet, a very small amount of yeah. money. And I was like, I, I think I can do that for you, man. You, nice. you got to do things. For I got one of those. I love her. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. So that, that that's a very unique story there um, with what you've done with your kids um how advanced and how rapidly you've had to adjust uh with those ages especially because uh, it's super critical in those ages to to try and figure things out so uh, i was trying to learn from you on that because i know i'm gonna be coming up on those years pretty shortly so all right uh <clears throat> coach story any good coach stories yeah man you know and i, I know think, you do yeah I've, I've got some up my sleeve i'll i'm gonna start i'm gonna start with one that i think i kind of tie into like what i think of like navy football and like my love for my fellow brothers and uh so this is fourth quarters both my to my i think my two of my better stories are from fourth quarters so this is i guess junior year going to senior and as i already talked about previously like I think at this point in the eyes of coaches, like I'm basically a nobody, like I'm on the team, but like, I'm not anywhere in the depth chart. I'm just on the team. And we were, and we're, I think Colton, I, I think it was a towel drill and I'm pretty sure Colton was at the towel drill. Right. And sure. I'm doing it. And for some reason, like he is singling me out. Like he's losing his mind on me. I don't even know what it's about, but he comes up. And he basically like shoves me and like, like not like hit me, but like shoves me, like gets me, like he puts his hands on me. 
and it was like dude like i'm like what like this is crazy like what's happening right now like i'm nobody you know like i know i'm a rising senior but like and i don't even know what i did wrong and um it was crazy i was like hey, this guy just put his fucking hands on me like you know like people coaches did that but in that moment it was like what are you doing um he, you know and we're in for, we're, at the top yeah uh, well, i'm sure, sure yeah but I, the part that i get to is that um i think so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm at drills with Ram and Clint. I remember there, and Craig is over there too. We're all in the same groups or whatever. So Ram, the next time he goes through, when he, you know, does this on a towels, he purposely, you know, sprints and runs in the Colt because he's standing right there. And Colin's like, "Oh, what the hell got my face?" And then Clint puts his hand Oops. in a towel and he runs and he sprints and he runs in the Colt. And then like Craig does it, you know, like I never nice. said anything to me. They That's never said bad. anything. Yeah, you know, like we never said anything to each other, but it was like one of those, like, like I talking about right now, like I have chills thinking about that. Yeah. You know, like my cool. brother's got my back, you know, and it was just one of those things. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, and then this okay, second one, second one involves you. This is good. Uh oh, so freshman year, I was listening to Jordo's podcast, and he mentioned um, it was funny. I, I even like you mentioned I, I did have like mono at one point. Um, I was the first week of fourth quarters. You know, back when we were like badasses, we did fourth quarters around You're spring yakking. break. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I remember it was like the first day back from spring break and Paul Johnson's middle field. And we're at, you know, quote unquote halftime. Yes. And he's yelling at us and blah, blah. And he goes, I don't even, you know, you guys aren't working. I don't even think anybody's thrown up yet. And when he said that, Boom. you were literally, as he's, as he's saying this, like you're over in the stands and uh, if anybody remembers Tony throwing up, like you knew when Tony was throwing up, like he's calling it from like way down yeah. and you're throwing up. So loud. it's like echoing on the field. I'm like, this guy's nuts. Like Tony's literally dying behind me. <laughs> like, how can you not hear this guy? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, what are we doing? And not only you, and as like Johnson's out there yelling about how no one's working and no one's even thrown up yet. Baird, I think had gone to like Mexico <laughs> was Justine. Was, and he had gotten some like some sort of combo had, trip or yeah, yeah, he had gotten like Montezuma's revenge. He was literally like roll like this is as Johnson saying no one's thrown up. Like Baird is right next to me. Yeah. And Smurr, he's like, rolling back and forth him. He's rolling back and forth, like throwing up on himself and just like shivering. And I'm like, where am I? Like these four like this is nuts. This guy's crazy. <laughs> like I think Tony's dying and, well, and Baird I'm glad, is dead. I'm glad we entertained Paul Johnson on that one. So yeah, man. Tough dude. That's fun. Cool. <clears throat> All right. Do you have a good mentor? What's your best mentor that you've had so far? I think for me, I spend, I, you and already talked about my dad and, you know, growing yeah. up, awesome, you know, dude. both my parents, they were so, you know, there's nine of us, but my parents were so involved with our lives. You know, my dad helped, he coached, um, like my middle school football team. And I went to high school. We had lost a bunch of coaches and um, he followed us there, you know, and to this day, I probably talk to my dad two, three times a week. And if I don't call him, you know, like on the week, he'll call me, leave me a voice. Like, Oh, you know, you and I haven't heard from you in a couple of days. And then, you know, and it's like, awesome. it's like probably, but it's like, like every, you know, whether it's a child thing, a professional thing, a personal thing, like I've always had such, you know, good communication with my dad. And he's just such a person to like lean on both my parents, just you know, the vast amount of experiences they've had, 
and things like that, that everything I think I draw back on when I need to talk to someone, I'm looking for it, you know, and, and like my dad has zero connection to the Navy, nothing out me there, but just like him as a leader, a father, um, and you know, all those things this is the person I've leaned on so hard my entire life and continue to do, you know, with my kids now. Nice. Pretty strong dude. That's an awesome relationship. So, all right. What's your price of admission? Yeah. So when I, you know, I've listened to these, but I hear people talk about it. And what I always said is whenever people tell me like what it means to be a Navy football player is it's a guy who there's literally nothing you can do to a Navy football player and they're not going to ask for more. And it kind of goes on sort of like, hey, most people don't have another look at any other school. Like this, it's at the Naval Academy, you're going, you know, a little bit lower now. Like I know people get our D1 offers and things like, like you're choosing to go there because you want to play um, Division One football. And look, when you get up there and whatever you think about the coaches are not like, the coaches are, they're fucking, they're, it is, it is FIBU that we talked about. You know, it's, it's us against the world or things like that. And when you're out there at practice or games, there's, you know, you're full pads, way more than anyone else in the country. And you're just selling your soul on like a Wednesday before a Saturday game or something like that. There's nothing you can't do to a Navy football player and continue to ask for more. And I think that's what's given us, you know, the leg up on so many people for so many years. We're just tougher. The mentality, um, you can't, you know, like you're, coaches can just treat you like, like nothing and you're just like like put me back in put me back in like why why one more of that you know like, there's nothing you can do and it's just like the ultimate drive yeah. to just continue to do that because like what else are you going to do like oh you know like this is your chance you know and i always felt like i always felt like it, a total next man like everyone always have an opportunity you know to do something it doesn't matter where you were when you got there like you were going to have a chance to play you know at some point along that like next man up thing and then just no matter how tough it was, whether it was fourth quarters or off-season conditioning or in the season, you're going ones versus ones, like late in the camp, and you know you're you can barely get down to practice. And yeah. the only thing Doc is doing Who's gonna get, is ice and stem. Who's going to get you know? an injury first? Yeah, you know what I mean, man. <laughs> it just people just selling their souls. You know, the long you're in there for ice and stem in the morning, then practice all day, then you you eat a, a ten minute lunch so you can go watch meetings, and then you go all the way across campus and you sprint back across campus you know, to get to practice in like 90 degree heat. And then you, you rush out of the tables and you got mandatory study hall and then you just do it all over it. But you're, you're like, I mean, what else would I be doing? Like, I'm awful. Like, I'm not complaining. I love it. This is the, you know, this is the, this is the best time of my entire life. I do it all over again, but it's just a constant, like, there's nothing you can't do to us. And then we're not going to ask for more. You know, like, we're just going to keep pushing. Nice. All right. When's your retirement date? <laughs> well, I guess since uh, we're May something of 10, I guess May something of 2020 or 2030, excuse me, not 20. Yeah, yeah. 20 years, man. It's, it's, I, I, I want to get to, at this point now, I'm, you know, close enough to 13. Um, it's been good to us. I'm on shore duty now for hopefully several more years before I got to, you know, do anything, get the kids, most of the kids through high school, or at least the two oldest, you know, or whatnot. And uh, just get there and then enjoy. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what I'll do. Like, I got, I guess I saw some. I, I'm not thinking about my transition. I do appreciate everyone talking about their transition. I'll have to come back and 
you know, or whatnot. There'll be everyone will be in transition yeah. by that point. Start I'll, thinking I'll, ahead. I want to know what you're gonna yeah, do yeah. once you retire. Yeah, yeah. After all these Navy, I'm gonna. Like, what's the I'll gonna just be? sit on my 05 retirement, mate. Hopefully, and, like coach high school football locally. You know, there we go. Nice. Be a be a granddad. That's that's summer nice life goals. Be really cool grandparents. Nice, cool, awesome combo. Um, tell Summer we miss her. Uh, she's oh, awesome. Dude. I know she's a huge backbone for you. Um, you know, especially with you guys' story with the adoptions and in in those ages and how much things change uh, with that and how the adaptation is has to be high. So, um, really cool story. Appreciate your niche um, of what you do with your kids today, because I think none of us know what that means. It's definitely special, definitely different. Um, with you doing all those deployments, like, that's nuts. So, um, I think Summer is awesome. So, tell her we said She that. is, man. Will do. And tell her, thank you for your time tonight, brother. Yeah, I got I to gotta go to work now with her. Awesome. All right. Take care. See you, man.